Blog Talk Radio. Dialogue Between the Lines, where each week we talk with authors and publishing industry professionals. I'm your host, Joshua Graham, along with my lovely co-host, Susan Wingate, and we'd like to take a moment uh, to invite you to our, our website, which is www.dialoguebtl.com. Today our guest is New York Times number one best-selling author, Sandra Brown, and we are just so excited to uh, be speaking with her. She's got a new book out, which we'll be talking about, and... Um, so, Susan, how are you today? I'm doing just great. Thank you, Joshua, and it's good to be here today. It's good to hear your voice, and I'm super excited about um, talking with Sandra Brown today. Uh, it, it, her new book, Low Pressure, sounds fabulous. It sounds like such a good story. Um, I just went through the first edits of my uh, of the new Spider Brains, which, um, as you know, uh, got a three-book deal with Astrea Press, so I'm I'm excited about that, and um, I'm working through those, those uh, the editing process right now. But um, what about you? How have you been? Oh, it's great. I mean, congratulations on that uh, deal. By the way, I, I I always love to tell people what I think of that book, Spider Brains. To me, it's um, I always say it's Kafka's Metamorphosis meets The Princess Diaries. But I think it's a, <laughs> it's a wonderful read, and I, I think uh, readers of young young adult uh, fiction, as well as any kind of fiction, will, will really enjoy that. I've been very busy myself, actually. So, um, between homeschooling my son and uh, this new boot camp workout routine, it's just li- left me with less time than ever before. But I'm still writing, and it. somehow I find when I have less time, I become more focused. So, uh, I'm coming near the end of my latest novel, Terminus, which is kind of a paranormal, suspenseful, romantic book. <laughs> I don't know what you would actually name it. Uh, in terms of genre, but um, it's a lot of fun to write, and I'm excited to be getting to the final climax of the book. And um, you know, the biggest worry about that is that will this be big enough? Will this be satisfying enough? Will, and um, you just gotta go for it and trust what you're doing. So, but anyway, oh, I have uh, no doubt. I have no no doubt that you are competent in carrying that off. You're an incredible author, Joshua. Well, thank you. But speaking about truly incredible authors. Today, we're really excited to have with us the author of 62 New York Times bestsellers, including her most recent book, Low Pressure, Lethal, Tough Customer, Smash Cut, Smokescreen, Play Dirty, Ricochet, Chill Factor, and uh, White Hot. And these are just books, uh, just some of the books since 2004. Um, She's published over 70 novels, bringing the number of her copies of books in print worldwide upwards of 80 million. Now, I didn't say 8 million. I said 80 million. Wow. Her work has been translated into 34 languages. Did you know there, there, there were even that many languages <laughs> on this planet to be translated to? That's amazing. So I'm speaking other, of none other than Sandra Brown, and um, it's just such an honor and privilege to have her with us here today. And, um, Sandra, thanks so much for being on our show. You're on the air. Oh, uh, thank you, Joshua, and thank you, Susan. I'm very pleased to 
to be here. Appreciate your inviting me, and I, already I'm intimidated um, <laughs> hearing what you're writing about. Both of you, I'm sitting here going, "Wow, this sounds amazing." <laughs> Thank you. So, uh, and I love that you're both kind of writing cross genre. Um, I think that that's going to be kind of the new thing. You know, uh, the the reading audience doesn't know what they want until you give it to them. And uh, so I think it's I think they sound like fun ideas what you're doing. It, it doesn't per- fit any particular pigeonhole, and I, I really like the idea of that. So my books have always been very hard for publishers to pigeonhole. Uh, they're always like, are they are they mysteries? Are they thrillers? Are they romances? And if you do it right, if I do it right, they're a little bit of all of those <laughs> things. Well, obviously, you have done it right because you've had so many books published and so many of them on the New York Times bestseller list up from number six to number one. I mean, that that is amazing. And um, obviously, you know, first of all, I just wanted to say it was, it's, it was such a pleasure to meet you, Sandra, at Thriller Fest in New York a, a couple Thank of months you. ago, even though it was such a, a brief meeting. But um, you're obviously an incredibly busy woman with an amazing career. Uh, would you tell us a little bit about your latest book, Low Pressure? Well, I'm thrilled to tell you the the news I just received um, last evening is that it's actually moved up three spots on the New York Times bestseller list. Um, it, it's been on a month now, and it's still at number 10. So um, I'm really pleased about that because it's a heavily trafficked market we've got going on these oh. days, and um, there are so many books out there. So um, uh, last week it had taken a dip when... Um, when like eight new books came on, but then this week it's moved back up three spots. So I'm very pleased about that. Um, I got the idea last year uh, when I was watching all of these horrific images that we were seeing coming out of Tuscaloosa and Joplin and some of the other Midwest cities that were actually getting you know just demolished by by F5 tornadoes. And having come from Texas. Um, I'm very well acquainted with tornadoes. I've lived in Tornado Alley all my life. Um, So it was kind of a fascination uh, for me. But I was seeing this devastation and thinking, how is that even possible that a force of nature can be that destructive? And, of course, I was seeing, you know, the casualties being pulled out of the rubble and, uh, and some of them, you know, had suffered mortally. And I thought, now what if... Um, it was discovered once a body got to the morgue that the individual had not died as a consequence or from an injury that was storm-related, but had actually been murdered just moments before the tornado struck. And the tornado would have completely uh, destroyed the crime scene. There would be very, very little for the authorities to, to go on in terms of an investigation. So that's when the story for low pressure first you know took root and then i played with several angles and ideas and i thought okay what if 18 years after this event 18 years after the investigation the arrest trial conviction and sentencing um our heroine writes a book about her sister's murder seconds before a tornado and the book starts upsetting a lot of people namely the murderer, <laughs> who for 18 years had gotten away with it. 
And so the book it becomes a, of course, this happens all the time. <laughs> First novel uh, becomes a sensational bestseller, uh, and she becomes an instant celebrity, although she that was not what she saw at all because it was a very cathartic experience for her, you know, writing this book that was a, a tragedy in her family. And um, and so all these bad things start happening. It soon determined that the actual murder um, had gotten away with it, and uh, the book has has revealed all this stuff that the murderer would rather have not been revealed. So that's kind of it in a nutshell, a big nutshell, but that's kind of it in a nutshell. Well, it sounds like a, a big book type of uh, thing with really high stakes and, uh, and a very intriguing premise. And, and uh, you know, I'm sure that that's why it's you know climbing up in the top ten, and now I guess number seven in the New York Times. No, it, it's it's number ten this week. Number oh, 10 number ten. Okay, week. but yeah, still, yeah. that is just amazing. So besides being a New York Times number one best-selling author, you've done other kind of work as well. Could you tell us about that other work you've done and how it led to your becoming a writer? Well, I was uh, I was working for the ABC affiliate uh, in Dallas uh, doing some news reporting, working on a show called PM Magazine, which was a nationally syndicated show, and also doing uh, weather casting, which I knew nothing about, but (laughs) I could read. So I just kind of read the information and regurgitated it on air. At that point in time, you didn't have to be a meteorologist to, to get a job as a weather person, but now I would be hopeless. But um, so I, one day I, I got fired from my job, and um, it was devastating at the time. And fortunately, it was part-time work. I was already married and had two children, but it it had really given me, you know, my own little niche, and I enjoyed the work. Um, so when it was gone, when it was withdrawn from me, I was like, gosh, what am I going to do? What, uh, I've got to find something else to do, and my husband, uh, God bless him, said, um, well, you've always talked about writing fiction. Uh, now, are you either going to talk about it or are you going to do it? And he sort of put it in a, the form of a challenge, which I had to pick up. And uh, so that's when I started writing. And I didn't know that I could do it, but I certainly had a fire in my belly for it. I had been an avid reader all my life. Uh, my father was a writer, although he was an editorial writer. He wrote nonfiction. Um, and my mother was um, a reader who read to my sisters and me from the, the, as far back as I can remember and told stories. So I think it was her romanticism and, and her love of storytelling and his writing ability just all of a sudden kind of merged in me and um and and I started writing and I loved it from day one. I've and I still do. I have the best job in the world. Well, you know, it's that's an incredible story because um to have he must your husband must have sensed that you would be good initially or you know, because that could have gone by the wayside. That could have just not ever have happened. But it oh, was absolutely you're you're entirely right, Susan, and I, I give him a lot of credit because, as I say, he uh, he virtually dared me uh, to try. And it's not like 
you know, if you're a doctor or if you're a lawyer or if you're a teacher or whatever, you hang out your shingle, and that's how the world all of a sudden sees you, and that's what you become. Um, a writer is rather, and you both know this, it's rather intimidating because you say, okay, I'm a writer. Well, write something. <laughs> yeah. Show me something you've written. And then you're like, uh... And, it, it, you know, the questions are invariable. It's like, well, what do you do all day? You just sit and write? And it's like, well, basically I sit and stare into space all day, you know. And, and I've all my life I've been a card-carrying daydreamer. And, um, and so I think it's hard for people who don't do it, especially who don't write fiction. Uh, if you're writing nonfiction, you've got something to write about that's already been told in one form. Uh, it's been acted out. If you're writing fiction, you have to make up stuff, <laughs> right. and and that's a little bit, uh, you know, your your world you're creating and your characters you're creating, and so it's hard for someone who doesn't have that uh, full blown imagination or doesn't have that yearning for storytelling to even imagine uh, sitting down and and doing that. And so it's a scary proposition. And it was scary the day I began over 30 years ago, and it was scary this morning uh, when I came into my office and I, I turned on my computer and there's a blank screen and that blinking cursor, mm-hmm. uh, and and I'm going, okay, get creative. <laughs> and yeah. and it, it, it's a frightening prospect. It really is. But on the other hand, as I say, I really love it. And um, with each book, I I try and challenge myself because after writing as Joshua said over 70 um, it's not only am I competing with all of the other excellent writers we have on the roster these days in every genre um, and people creating genres as we've talked about um, but I'm in competition with myself because this book has to be as good if not better than last year's book and so it's a, a constant learning arc uh, for me, and, and I think that's a good thing. I think well, the you fear know, factor is a good thing. Oh, I think it, and it's, it obviously has served you well. Um, you are the epitome of a fine author and and writer and committed to your craft and your profession. I mean, that's the, that's the key. And having written so many books... You know, and we're all on this subject anyway. Having written seventy books, over seventy books, how do you do? You keep the ideas fresh and flowing. Well, I try to do something different with each book. I try to try either from a crafting standpoint or from a uh, plotting standpoint that I haven't done, and uh, that way, it, it, it as I say, it keeps me. Can I, it keeps me asking myself, can I do this? Can I pull this off? It would be easier and safer to rely on what I've done in the past and just kind of do variations of that same thing. And to a certain extent I do because readers have expectations. You know, they don't want me going completely out on a limb, out into left field, um, because they they know when they buy a Sandra Brown, more or less what they're going to get, but... but one of my publishers came out one time with the tagline, expect the unexpected. 
And I love that because that's what I would like the reader. So, well, I expect a good story, but I have no idea what she's going to write about or where she's going to take me. And I like that. That's why I've never really been interested in doing a series or, or, or writing books based on one character. They're extremely popular. And it's almost been to my detriment that I haven't done that, but I don't think I'd be as good as at it um, because the writers who do it uh, follow one character or set of characters do it so well. And, and I really take my hat off to them because I don't know how uh, a writer comes up with a different plot for the same character over and over and over again and, and do it so extraordinarily well. I think I would get a little bored with it and 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 because by the time I finish a book I'm eager and anxious to see what's going to, you know, come up next. Who am I going to write about next? And so I'm kind of ready to Now I have written uh a few books where there were uh sequential characters where I had invented a character that was a secondary character in one book that I thought deserved his or her own story. And so I would I would write a story for that character. But I haven't really ever wanted to be – I never was attracted to the idea of writing a series to speak yeah. of. Well, you know, and I'm thinking low pressure here. I'm, I'm switching uh, uh, topics now quite That's drastically. That's fine. The more we say those two words, the better. So. Low pressure. Oh, I love – it's, it's just such pressure. a great <laughs> – Absolutely, low pressure, and it's such a great title. Um, but uh, aside from that, I, I, in low pressure, you must have done quite a bit of research, uh, I would think, on on hurricanes. And you probably, like you said, you live in Texas, and so you are, are you know, privy to that sort of weather anyway. Weather thing, um, yeah. So what what kind of research plays a part in your writing process, and specifically well, low pressure? Well, I was. I was also very fortunate because uh, my husband, who is now video uh, in video production, and he produces documentary films, and so he came from a television background. And for a time, <clears throat> he did weather also. And he is, I mean, weather channel devotee like none of. It's constantly on his computer. It's constantly on his phone. And he follows weather patterns, and so the title was was easy because I've heard you know it's a low pressure system, you know, and of course this is what causes you know tornadoes and hurricanes yeah. and things like that, bad weather. And so I loved I loved the title, and of course it's so relatable to so many other aspects of the story. Um, but yeah, I did have to ask him a few questions. Um, about the weather systems and and how they came about, and and then the main thing I had to do research on is my hero is a pilot, and he he flies his own pl- twin engine plane, but he also had flown uh, for a commercial airline before a near disaster, and so doing the research on that was both fascinating, but it was also sort of morbid. Um, and I, I went on the NTSB websites and read, you know, transcripts uh, from the cockpit voice recorders of planes that had either had near disasters, as in the case of my book, or they had actually crashed. And and then following up with that, I interviewed extensively uh, two commercial pilots who asked not to be named, um, 
and I said, okay, what needs to happen? And a plane crash is typically a series of events that either one of them, either one of the factors been taken out of the equation, the, the plane would have not crashed. Um, but if everything lines up, it's called the, the uh, Swiss cheese model, if everything lines up and all the holes line up, then the, the craft is doomed. So all of this stuff, you know, was fascinating, but as I say, rather from a, a morbid standpoint, of course it's made me very skittish to get on the airplane <laughs> of any kind. But I also needed to, because my hero and heroine spend a lot of time in the cockpit of his plane, I needed to experience that. So through um, various friends and friends of friends, um, I found a, a pilot who does uh, charter flights in the kind of plane that my my um, hero has. And so I uh, flew with him. And uh, from the, the time he arrived at the municipal airport until we landed um, after making a round trip, I watched every single thing he did and recorded it and took notes on it and then relied on his, you know, expertise and just talking me through things. Now, could I fly an airplane? No, but I know more about it now than I did. So that required extensive research because it had to be right, and I probably made some mistakes, but in my acknowledgments at the end of the book, I said if I made any, they're my own and not these people who helped me. Wow. Oh, wow. Definitely research is something that adds to the ver- uh, verisimilitude of uh, of the experience. Um, but I'm sure Yeah, that- I think, um, and I'm frequently asked about, you know, how much research do you do? And it certainly depends on the subject matter. Um, obviously, my heroine being an author and having been published and having gone on book tour and being interviewed on television for the book and having gone to book signings, well, that's something I didn't have to research very much right. because I've lived through that. Um, but it, it really depends on the subject matter. I think what's important to me is to get it as authentic as possible but not to show off as to how brilliant I am because I really resent it when I feel like an author is trying to impress me with how much research they did. In other words, everything I've learned, I try to drop in here and there so that it makes it it lends color, uh, like color commentary to a sporting event. It lets lets my reader know that I knew what I was talking about, but I don't do paragraphs and paragraphs on how to fly a twin-engine airplane because (laughs) that would be more or less boring uh, to my reader who wants to know what the hero and the heroine are going to say next and what they're going to do next. And so it lends it authenticity, but it's not like I'm, you know, trying to get an A on my paper. (laughs) (laughs) So everything has to... I use the facts sparingly, let's put it that way. Right. And and all to serve the furthering of the characters in the story itself. Right, right. Great. We're, we're talking with Sandra Brown right now, and you can visit Sandra Brown's website to find out a lot about her. She's at sandrabrown.net, and um, it's just been great talking with you so far. Um, and so I wanted to ask you, Sandra, besides writing, what are you passionate about? Uh, eating. <laughs> yeah. I, was, I was so impressed that you're doing the boot camp workout. Oh, my I gosh. <laughs> um, no, I... Uh, 
<laughs> that's very facetious to say, but I, I do love to eat. I'm, I'm cooking pork chops in my slow cooker today because I'm in the mountains, and it's very foggy and rainy up here today, and so it's just so atmospheric. So I got up this morning and thought, what can I put in a slow cooker that will be ready by dinner time? But I'm not a cook, but I do love to eat. Um, my family uh, is very, very close to me, um, very important to me. I have two children, and uh, between them, they have four little boys. So I have four grandsons under the age of nine, and um, my husband and, have, and I have wonderful friends. Uh, he's very active in his pursuits, the filmmaking. Um, he's also very into Corvettes, and uh, so he has a whole, um, you know, just legions of friends all over the country that are um, aficionados of Corvette. And um, and we travel with uh, friends. We just got uh, back from a um, river trip up the Danube uh, with some of our friends, which was wonderful. So um, I guess if you asked me, um, I would say, you know, my, my children, my grandchildren, my sisters and their families and our friends are the things I'm really passionate about. Um, we love movies, and I love reading. It's still my favorite pastime. Um, and the only thing I resent about writing is that it bites into my, my reading time. <laughs> um, but I read, um, I read hours each day, uh, inside and out of my genre. I like, I like everything. Uh, just my only criteria is tell me a story. And I don't care if it's the genre in which I write or if it's another fiction genre or if it's nonfiction. I just want to be held captivated by a story. And uh, that's what I try to do for my reader. I've never aspired to do anything except to entertain my reader. Uh, and if they've thought enough about me to plunk their money down to buy my book, I want them to have a good time and uh, that's and feel like they've, they've been on an excursion with another group of, of people into another world for a short period of time. And that's what I, you know, that's what I try to do because that's what I like to do when I pick up a book. That's, and that's a perfect way, you know, to to have a mission statement like that because, and obviously, you've been doing it so well for for so many years and, and continue to do it so well. So, in that light, do you have any advice for? I know it's kind of hard to put it into little nuggets for such a short amount of time, but any advice for aspiring or even mid-list authors who dream about doing? What you do at your Absolutely. level? Absolutely. Uh, I think the first and, and fundamental thing is to read. Read everything. If I don't have something to read, I read the cereal box. I mean, <laughs> it's just I always have books lined up to read and spares in case I don't like any of those. I mean, so I'm <laughs> never without reading matter. Um, and and not too long ago, this this I just found... Unbelievable! I was attending a a writers symposium group thing in New York, and there was a panel. I was in the I was in the audience, and uh, I was attending with my son, who is also a fiction writer. And on the panel were very notable authors. And as they were going, someone from the audience asked, "What do you read? What do all of you read?" Which is a frequently asked question. So they went down the the uh, thing, and one of the authors said, I don't read. I just don't have time. I'm too busy 
writing now and doing my own thing and publicity and everything. I just don't read. <laughs> and my jaw hit my chest, and I looked over at my son, and he was gaping as I was. And I found it so inconceivable that anyone that writes wouldn't read, but that you would admit it. <laughs> yeah. The very next, the very same afternoon, like no longer than three or four hours later, Stephen King was the featured interview on stage <laughs> in front of the audience. And he said, they said, uh, the interviewer said, Steve, what is your, what is your typical day like? And he said, well, I write for eight hours, and I read for eight hours, and I sleep wow. for the other eight. And and, oh. and I thought, oh, how validating, you know, that is, that even Stephen King, um, who few, if any, can top in terms of longevity um, in this business, uh, still devotes that much time to reading. And so I think you, that's fundamental. My advice would be if you want to be a writer, you've got to be a reader. And secondly, you have to do it every day. If you set aside one hour or ten hours, if you, um, if you pronounce yourself a writer, then that's what you've got to do. And reader, writers' groups and, and critique groups and memberships and national organizations and going to conventions and meeting with agents and editors and other writers, all of that is valid. Taking classes is valid, and all of that can help. But at some point, you've got to lock yourself in a room all by yourself and be willing to devote complete solitude to crafting and Absolutely. and that's what a lot of writers don't want to hear, that it's really, really, really hard work. Mm-hmm. And most of it, um, I would say 99% of it, you have to do in complete solitude and by yourself. And it's yeah. not sexy, it's not glamorous, but that's what you have to do. But it sure fits my way of life because all I want to do is live in my pajamas. So oh, I'm, yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm on well, board with that. To, that's why I come to the mountains, you know. <laughs> yeah. I can stay in my jammies all day. I don't have appointments. We don't have any social life. You know, I just come up here and I can I can write, you know, hours and hours each day. And it's my favorite day. You know what it's like, Susan. It's like your favorite day. You're getting to, you're getting to make believe all day yeah. long. Yeah, daydream, daydream and play, and uh, and I love that you uh, talked about reading. I, I agree with you. I think it's the most important, probably the most important thing, aside from you know practice on your writing, is the most important thing to to read how other other authors are crafting mm-hmm. and putting together. Mm-hmm. The story, the storytelling part, I think, is what we take away from it. Whether we like someone's actual writing or not, it's how they're telling a story. Right. If they're a fabulous storyteller and maybe not such a great writer, you're learning mm-hmm. something from them because they are good That's at right. storytelling. That's exactly right. Yeah. And I've so, known great storytellers who weren't yeah. great writers, and I've known great writers who were lousy storytellers. Yeah. Um, yeah. It, 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 it's great when it works <laughs> together. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, back to <clears throat> the daydreaming aspect, I was at the 
Mark Twain House in uh, Hartford, Connecticut, last week with my colleagues R.L. Stein, the children's author, and Steve Berry, another thriller writer. And uh, Steve, when we gave a presentation that evening, and it was a panel discussion, and, and Steve said in that, um, he said probably a, a great deal more of our time is spent thinking about what we're going to write than actually writing the words. And and that's true. Um, you know, you sit down to write. A lot of my day is spent with my my hands on the keyboard. They're just not moving. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you mm-hmm. know, I may just sit there for an hour before I type a sentence. Yeah. Uh, so it, a lot of it is just the thought you put into it, the, the, the making up of that sentence takes a whole lot more time than typing the sentence does or writing the sentence down by longhand. And that can only be done when you're devoting your entire concentration to it. Oh, I totally agree. I, I remember attending a um, a workshop eight years ago where Ridley Pearson was there and he was talking I about... I love him. Oh, yeah, what a darling man. And he is a fabulous workshop teacher too. He was yes. is just so much fun. Funny. He talked about yeah. yes, funny. He talked about Stephen King's reading, how he had uh had he his whole nine thousandth or however big his house is, um <laughs> lower floor is a library and there is was one bookshelf, one small little bookshelf in this huge basement area that was maybe had fifty to a hundred books on it and it's the top of it said T-B-R, and that meant to be read. Everything else in the library had been read. Had been read, yeah. Isn't that something? But he was talking about how another author friend of his also said that he was lying on the couch, and his wife came in and said, aren't you going to write? And he said, I am. (laughs) He was lying (laughs) just with his feet up, you know, thinking about it, like you said, Sandra. So that's such great advice, and we just want to say thank you so much for joining us. This has been just awesome to talk with you. Oh, and well, thank you. For me, too, I, I appreciate your interest in in me, and I, I've, I'm flattered that you think I have something um, worthwhile to impart, and especially thank you for uh, enabling me to talk about low pressure. I really Absolutely. appreciate that, as it's the book that's on sale now <laughs> in all book outlets and in every form. I appreciate your letting me uh, me talk about it. Oh, Sandra, it's been a great honor for us to have you today mm-hmm. and and to talk to low, uh, talk about low pressure with you. So, and your writing process, it's just been amazing. So, thank you so very much. My pleasure. Thank you, and goodbye, Susan, and goodbye, Joshua. <laughs> goodbye. Thanks thank you so much. Bye. Bye. Thank you. Wow, she is just incredible and so sweet and uh and giving of her time to be with us today on dialogue between the lines or uh yeah, dialogue between <laughs> the lines. I couldn't remember where we were today. But um low pressure is her uh is her latest release and it is sounds phenomenal. You can find her on sandrabrown.com or sandrabrown.net. Either one will take you to her website. So just so that you know that um, her, and again, Low Pressure is uh, sounds like a great um, intriguing thriller and mystery about um, her sister who, her, not her, Sandra Brown's sister, but a fictional character of, uh, in the book, um, the main character's sister, 
was killed 18 years before the story begins, and um, and the hurricane is involved, and a lot of murder and <laughs> mayhem. So so just a great uh, great sounding story, and um, I just wanted. Thank you all for joining us today on Dialogue Between the Lines. And don't forget, you can learn more about Sandra Brown at SandraBrown.net and SandraBrown.com. A podcast of this show will be available right here um, on blogtalkradio.com forward slash dialogue. And be sure to tune in Thursday, November 1st, 10 o'clock a.m. Pacific Time and 1 p.m. Eastern Time because we're going to be interviewing Estevan Vega, another fabulous thriller writer. Um, Until next time, this is Susan Wingate with Joshua Graham for Dialogue Between the Lines. Mm Bye-bye. 